I think I did everything right as far as getting wired. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, in my old church, it was just one little thing I had to switch on. Today, it's like five things and a bunch of wires. I felt like I'm going in for a cardiac arrest or something. Uh, How's everybody doing? Well, some people heard I was giving the message this morning. I see they're in the back. That's per usual. Some of you up front, you'll learn. Um, hey, I just wanted to let you know this morning that uh, normally uh, my sermons are usually pretty light in that uh, I like humor. Anybody like humor? But this morning's message that God gave me, it's, it's really not filled with a lot of humor. Um, it, it's so good to be back at church and, and especially here at Hope and Anchor and it seems like it's been eons since I've been here. Um, but as Adam asked me to speak this morning, um, God laid on my heart the story of Lazarus. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been digging into the story of Lazarus and really looking at it. And I want to start out this morning with a question. And here's the question. If only, if only you would have what? Turn that around for yourself and ask the question, if only I would have what? Can anybody fill that in? I'm not going to put you on the spot. But when you think about your life, you think about your past, you think, if only I would have, what would that have been? We all have the if onlys. If only I would have stayed in school. If only I would have worked harder. If only I would have gotten more serious about the Lord. Um, if only... Uh, I would have listened to my parents if only I would have gotten married earlier if only I would have treated that person better if only I would have moved sooner if only I would have not gotten involved in that situation if only I wouldn't have gotten involved with those people can anybody relate to this or am I just talking to the wood yes okay all right so if only if only I would have what Anybody here ever feel like they could have just kicked themselves in the hind end over the if only? I, I see a few nods. Yeah, I, I feel that way in my own life. There's a lot of things in my life that I could have just kicked myself in the hind end over, except for I've realized that God, through his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, allows me to leave the past in the past. So if you're here this morning and you have a whole lot of if onlys, you're in the right place because you can leave the if-onlys in the past today. Is that an amen spot or something? Amen. I think it is. Uh, we can leave it in the past. God is more concerned this morning with where you're going than with where you've been. I found that really true in my own life. I looked back and I see all the shoulda, woulda, couldas. And I can really beat myself up a lot. But God, in his grace and mercy and his forgiveness, allows me to leave all that stuff in the past. And that's a great thing. That's a great feeling of freedom. Now, <clears throat> we often think about all that stuff in the past, but what will you do with that stuff in the future? Will you make changes so it doesn't happen again? Will you plan better? Will you put yourself, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and walk into the forgiveness that Christ affords you um, in spite of your past? 
Or do you just sit and play the pity game? The blame yourself game? The blame others game? The blame God for the if onlys? There are many here that are seated this morning that instead of saying, if only I would have, we say, God, if only you would have. I've been there. I've done that. I've said, Jesus, if only you would have. In fact, I've had people come up to me and say that about my own life. They've said, if, if only Jesus would have made your arms longer. Well, I wouldn't know what to do with them. <laughs> I did find a joke. Look at that, Adam. <laughs> It seems to me that there's a lot of people in our world today who are upset with God because of how things turned out or because of how things are turning out. I mean, you turn on the news, which Sue and I have not been able to watch the news now for almost three weeks or a little bit longer. It's been great. Um, I don't know really what's going on in the world except for something called COVID and some riots someplace, which is awesome. But... People look at our world and they see the stuff that's going on and they begin to blame God. And if that's you this morning, if you're feeling like I've got a lot of if-onlys in my past, I've got a lot of if-onlys right now, and man, I'd like to just, <clears throat> God, it's okay, you're in the right place. Don't give up this morning. If you see all that stuff in the world that's just crazy, don't give up. Because God has a purpose and a plan way, way beyond our control and our scope of vision. And I think that's pretty awesome. And believe it, you can believe it. You can believe that he has it all under control. Does anybody, can I just at least see hands this morning? Anybody, does God have it under control or no? Yes, he does. He does. And I just want to start off praying this morning and thanking him because he does have it under control. So let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, help us to see the future as only you can see it. Help us, God, help us, God, to see your purpose and your plan even when we can't. God, help us to rely on you when things just seem out of control. God, allow us to glean from this passage of Scripture this morning what you have for us today. Father, forgive us where we have failed you and bring our hearts in line with yours today. God, help us to remember that you are in control. We thank you today for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, uh, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 11. Uh, I don't think we have anything up here on the board because I didn't give them anything. And they're praising the Lord for that because I jump around a little bit. But if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and op open them up to John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, uh, it begins by saying, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. As I said, I've been looking at this passage for about the last three weeks, and there is a ton in here. I would love this morning to just go verse by verse by verse 
and, and just cover it all. And literally, we don't have enough time for that because there's so much in here. I didn't realize when I took on this, uh, this topic or this passage how much there really was in here. But I think it's safe to say that even the most biblically illiterate person has probably heard about Lazarus. They've heard about the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And it's a very familiar story to many of us, um, but the truth is, it's a story that we don't read very often. I mean, who wants to read about a funeral over and over and over again, right? Um, it's a story that it's really, it's really hard to connect to for a lot of us. Um, we're not really sure how raising a dead guy from the grave really impacts our life today. And I think that's important when we look at Scripture to figure out how it impacts our lives today, right now, where we're at. And so my hope is by the time we finish up this morning, you'll be able to really connect with this passage as I have over the last couple weeks. So I want to start off with just the context of this. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and their home was in Bethany, a village about two miles away from Jerusalem. And it was an, obviously, it was an obvious place where Jesus felt very comfortable and in a sense kind of made a home there, if you will. And we know from John 10 uh, verses 4, 40 to 42, that Jesus was presently staying in the area of uh, Perea, some 20 miles away from Bethany, across the Jordan. And so Jesus is about a day's journey away from the home of Lazarus. In the opening couple of verses in John chapter 11, we learn that Lazarus is ill. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill in verse 3. And the implication in the Greek, if you really look that up, it's like they sent word that he needed to come immediately. Um, in verse 4 it says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Now when you hear that, you think, They've sent him a message, and it says, come quickly or come immediately. And we know from the background of the story, Jesus is saying, this sickness is not going to end in death. So you think, all is well. Jesus is going to hurry up and get there. He's going to touch him. He's going to be healed. Everybody's going to celebrate. It's going to be a great thing, right? That is until you keep reading, and you keep reading, and it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. <laughs> I read this over and over again, just this little section, and I was like, he stayed two more days? What? I mean, like, if I need to go to the hospital, I want somebody to take me there immediately. I don't want to wait. And, and here Jesus is like, yeah, we're just going to hang out here for a couple more days, and, you know, we'll get there. And then he finally says, let's go back to Judea. Do you agree with me that this is a little bit strange? It's a little bit strange that Jesus' reaction to their message is to delay, to wait. They've sent word, and there's this obvious urgent message. The one Jesus loves is yet, is ill, and yet Christ delays. He waits. Not just a few hours, but two days he waits. Why? Did he dislike 
Did he uh, delay? Uh, why did he delay? Does Jesus really not love Lazarus? Uh, is he indifferent to the suffering of Mary and Martha? Does he actually not care? I don't know about you, but I've asked those kinds of questions in my past. I've asked those kinds of questions like, why isn't the Lord doing this? I've been praying and praying. My knees are about wore out. And he's, he's not answering. He's not coming. He's not doing what I think he should do. It's crazy when you think like this, but sometimes I've even in my past said, does, he, does, does the Lord even really care? I know there's people in our world right now who see all the chaos going on and they're like, why? Does Jesus even really care? Does he care about me? Does he care about the little things that are going on? Verse, spell, verse 4 kind of spells it out for us though. And it gives the reason for Christ's delay. It says, for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus delayed for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In verse 15, it goes on and it says, that they may believe. He delayed so that those who were there might actually believe in who he said he really was. And then in verse 42, it says, for the benefit of the people that they may believe. The reason for Christ's delay in going to Lazarus is kind of hard to understand here in human terms. And Mary and Martha wanted an immediate response, as we often do. We want an immediate response. God, heal that person. God, work in that person's life. God, I need that money right now. Just as Mary and Martha, they wanted an immediate response. And to delay kind of seemed cruel and indifferent and a little bit uncaring. But that is because we don't have the full picture. If you just read that little bit, you're like, man, what kind of God do you worship? But when you take it all into context, when you take the whole picture in, we realize that delays are inevitable in this life. We realize the truth is delays are always from our perspective because we live in time-constrained existence. But to God, He doesn't live in that time-constrained existence. And so His delay, His limited, his, his time in waiting, it really isn't time in waiting to Him. His timing is always right. It's never late. And it's never early. So, Jesus delays going to Bethany. And he delays. I want you to remember that. That he delayed. He waited. He did not refuse to go. Sometimes we think, I'm waiting God. I'm waiting. But just remember, God didn't, Jesus didn't um, refuse to go. He answers eventually. And it's not that he doesn't care. Or that he's indifferent to Lazarus or to Mary or to Martha. He delayed for the glory of God. And so that they would believe. How often do we forget that? How often do I forget that? That delays are not meant to hurt us. Delays are meant to build our faith. 
and delays always bring glory to God. How many times do we forget that? Yet, we often respond like Mary and Martha when things don't go as we expect that they should. And so, if we go back to the story here in John 11, verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Do you get that? If you had. In some scriptures, some translations, it says, if only you would have. Get the if onlys? If only you would have been here, my brother would still have been alive. If you look down the passage quite a bit further, Martha spends some time there with Jesus and then she goes back to the house to get Mary. And when Mary comes out, the first thing Mary says in verse 32 is, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, if only, if only you'd have been here, my brother would still have been alive. I don't know about you, but I can bring this home in a little bit of a context for you. Several years ago, I got a call right around Easter break at school and it said my brother had had a heart attack and he was in the hospital. <laughs> and for me, my brother and I had always been very, very close. Um, we did a lot of things together, but as I became a Christian and he went more into the world ways, we kind of separated. And so over the years, I would continued to try and share Christ with him. And then I find out that he's had this massive heart attack and he's out in Oregon in the hospital. And so I called Sue to tell her and by the time I got home, my lovely bride had already made, made uh, plane ticket arrangements and had already had me flying out to Sacramento so I could drive up to Oregon. Long story short, I called a friend out there and his parents met me at the airport and I go flying up to Oregon to the hospital. And my brother is in there, tubed. He's got all these wires and crazy stuff all over him. And, and my first thought is, Lord, if only... If only I could have got to him before this. If only. And I prayed and prayed and prayed as we were there. And, and he did start to make a turnaround as we were there. And finally he got the tube out of his mouth. And we thought, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be amazing. He's going to turn completely around. And uh, he still couldn't talk. And... Um, but he was, he was pretty elusive and I came out, I stayed in his room, I came out of the shower one morning in his room and I was wearing just some pants, I'm sorry to get to this visual for you, but I was wearing just some pants, I didn't have a shirt on and I looked over and he was looking at me, directly at me. And I said to him, hey, have you ever seen something so sexy? <laughs> and he smiled at me and I knew in that instant it was my window. It was my window to sit down and share Christ with him. And so I did. I sat down and I said, Brother, I don't know how much longer you got, but here's the, the deal. And I was able to share Christ with him. And as I shared Christ with him, he cried and he shook his head and he wanted Jesus. And it was an amazing moment. 
It was an amazing moment. The what ifs. The what ifs. Here I was saying, God, what if? Why didn't you do this? If you would have been here. And in that moment, God answered the prayer. We never know how long the waiting will be. We just know that eventually Jesus will answer in one way or another. And so Mary's, Mary and Martha's response here, it's kind of crazy, but they said, Lord, if you would have, if only you would have. We'd like to dictate many times what Jesus does when he shows up and what he does when he gets there. We want to dictate that. We like to be the ones who are in control. We like to be the ones who aren't waiting and don't have the delays. We want the answer, answer instantly. But that's not always how God works. <laughs> Remember that when you are tempted to give up in prayer or to start not believing that God or to start believing that God is uncaring or indifferent or that he's not going to answer. Usually that's the time he answers in one way or another. His delays are not the means his delays are the means to bring him glory and bring glory to the Father. To bring glory and to build faith in our own hearts. Jesus knows um, that he was in this world to serve the Father. He knew that. In this passage, Jesus knew he was there to serve the Father. He wasn't there um, to take care of our felt needs or Mary and Martha's felt needs at that time. He was there to bring glory to his Father. He's not in this world to answer our felt needs. He's not in this world to jump at our beck and call like a puppet on a string. Jesus was in the world to do the perfect will of his Father. And that's what he's still doing today. One simple lesson I gained from this passage is that we should be more concerned with what brings God glory over our felt needs. That's hard pill to swallow. But we should be more concerned with what brings God glory over our felt needs. In that moment back in the hospital, I wanted instantly, I wanted my brother to be healed. I wanted him to walk out of that bed. I wanted him to do a lot of things. Instead, God's answer was he received Christ as a Savior and two days later he passed away. What an answer. What an answer to know that he actually had not only the opportunity to receive Christ, but he did receive Christ. And what an answer to know that he's with Christ. Amen? I'm going to pick back up in verse 7. Verse 7 says, After two days, Jesus announces that he is now intending to go to Bethany. And the disciples with him, um, except for Thomas, try to dissuade him from going. If you read that section of passage, there's basically a, a bounty on Jesus' head. And in verse 8, the disciples are saying, it's too dangerous for to us to go there. When he was there before, uh, they tried to stone him. But then in verse 11... Jesus tells his disciples, it's time for us to go. We need to go. Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples misunderstand this um, and they think he means literal sleep. Like, we're going to go wake him up kind of sleep. And finally, Jesus gets in through their thick heads and says, no, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. It's like, 
dead. And not only dead, but he's been dead now for a while. When Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And according to um, Barclay's commentary, at the time of Jesus, many believe that after three days, the soul departed from the body and the body began to de decompose. And the body would be anointed on the third day and that the tomb would not be opened again after that. And so this is a little snapshot here from John that he tells us there's no doubt that number one, Lazarus is dead. And number two, his body is already starting to decay. It also tells us that by this time, by the time Jesus had received the news um, that Lazarus is ill, Lazarus had already died. He was already dead. So the delay didn't make Jesus responsible for Lazarus' death. Lazarus was already dead. But Jesus would be the means of Lazarus' resurrection, which is awesome. Jesus is about life, not death. This was difficult for Mary and Martha to understand because they knew their brother was dead. I'm going to jump ahead to John 11.30. It says, Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mar Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. I hope no one ever tries to tell me that my Jesus is not compassionate and that my Jesus is not empathetic because it shows us right here in this scripture he was moved he was troubled and he wept and weeping is not just a couple of tears it's like a sob it's like deeply moved like yeah Everything I get from this passage is that when we hurt, Jesus hurts. And when we're, we feel anguish or we feel pain, Jesus feels anguish and pain. And when we cry, He cries. He even cries with us when He already knows the outcome. I think it's cool. He's, he's there and He's crying with the people here He's crying with Mary and Martha, and yet he already knows what he's getting ready to do. And yet he is deeply moved. He's also deeply moved because he's human, and he's also God. And as God, he realizes that the weight of the world, the weight of sin that causes death, will be on him eventually. And so he's deeply troubled over that fact as well. Verse 36. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Take note here. 
Jesus doesn't prevent death. He embraces it. He enters it. He raises it victoriously. And it's hard to get our minds around that there is life after this life. It's hard for us to understand that sometimes. But God has a bigger plan through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the story of Lazarus, it should give us hope, guys. This story should really give us hope and fill us with hope. The world is always going to question Jesus. And the world is always going to question His motives. Because they don't know Him. And so that's why they say things like, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man alive? They say that kind of stuff because they don't know who Jesus really is and they don't understand the fact that sometimes the situations we're in, we're in so that they bring glory to God. The world is always going to question Jesus. Don't let the world deter you from God's plan, from what God's plan really is. Jesus had a bigger plan than just keeping Lazarus alive. His plan was demonstrated, demonstrated how he could bring someone back to life. His plan was a foretelling demonstration of what he planned to do on Resurrection Sunday for himself. His plan was a reminder that Jesus will return for us one day. His plan proves that Jesus does really care for us and cares for our hurts and our needs. And His plan will always bring glory to Himself and to God the Father. I think that's pretty amazing. We're going to finish out this story. We're going to pick up in verse 38. In verse 38, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Taking away the stone, he said, But Lord, taking away the stone, he said, But, sorry, take away the stone, he said, But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Sometimes in our unbelief, guys, we're like, I don't know. I don't know if God can pull me out of this one. I don't know if God can pull it through. But Jesus says clearly here, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. All the chaos in our world right now, all the rioting, all the nasty stuff, all the pulling down of these monuments and people fighting and Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. I want you to know that if you believe, you will see the glory of God through this. God is on the move. And you will see the glory of God through this. Verse 41. So they take away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I want to pause there for just a second because that's Jesus' mission. He wants us to know that God sent him into the world, his one and only son, so that we would not perish. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Guys, this is my favorite miracle in the Bible. It's crazy because it has so many implications for us. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. Upon hearing the voice of Jesus, Lazarus walks out from the grave. The voice of Christ brings a dead man to life. Jesus reveals his authority over death. And the power which had held mankind in this terrible grip is defeated. Death has been conquered by the word of Jesus. That's pretty cool. I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty cool. That makes me excited. It makes me excited to know that my Jesus can conquer death. My Jesus can bring freedom. This uh, is the revelation of the glory of God and the glorification of the Son. Death is defeated. The word of God in Christ brings forth life from the grave. Now, I want you to listen closely to the final words of Christ. Jesus says right here, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Friends, Lazarus had the strength to shuffle out of the grave. I can kind of picture him, you know, all wrapped up in the grave clothes, just kind of mummified, coming out. And as he does that, Jesus says, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wrapped around him were linen cloths of a dead body. He had been raised to life, but he was still in this shroud of death. He was still needing that shroud to be removed and taken off of him. He was unable to do it himself. He needed help. Again, there's a simple point here for us, for each of us. As Christians, we've been raised to life. We've been raised to a newness in Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been raised to a newness of life. And yet some of us have not allowed those old grave clothes to be removed. I'm thinking about the old habits, the old lifestyles, the old man you were before you came to know Christ. I know people through Encounter Ministries who have hanged on to those, hung on to those grave clothes for a very, very long time. It's time to let go of the grave clothes. It's time to peel them off. If you got stuff from your past, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, the if-onlys that are still winding you up, it's time to let them go. Because Jesus is about life, not death. He's about newness, not the old. The old habits, the old attitudes, the old lifestyles, the old life, it can all be gone. And we don't have to delay. All we have to do is step into what Christ has for us. Amen? I'm going to ask you this morning to quit asking or thinking, Lord, if you would have been here, what if you'd have been here, Lord? And I'm going to ask you to think, how can I bring glory to God? Or how can the situation bring glory to God? It's a new day. Our world is crazy. It's upside down. But it's a new day. I want to close with a passage 
um, that I didn't have written down. Um, but I, I think everybody here knows that I'm really involved with something called Encounter Ministries. And four years ago when I went to Encounter Ministries, I still, after being a Christian since I was 16, I still hung on to some grave clothes. And this was the passage that the Lord gave me there. It said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me. And he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. That's our desire for you this morning. Amen? Amen. Adam? Mm -hmm. Such a good message and such a thing we need to hear, isn't it? I mean, I know as he was speaking, I was thinking about my life and about how many of my friends who have a deeply rooted faith, but stuff like this really can rock. Your, your, your trust and, and I mean this is uniquely I think timely mm -hmm. I know people in our fellowship that are in a place of just crying out to God like where are you why aren't you here why aren't you doing this I've prayed I've trusted I've had a must heart moving you know that can really break us down and so I love that